This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Last week we talked about Christmas origins. How many of you enjoyed last week? Great, I'm glad six of you did. It's awesome. Thank you, Haley. Guys, we only scratched the surface, but how many of you learned something? You learned something. I'm glad you loved it, Mom. My goodness. Should we celebrate Christmas? Well, that time of year is that time of year is rooted in pagan tradition. <laughs> and Jesus certainly wasn't born in December. Should we celebrate Christmas? Guys, quick wrap up. The end of last last week talked about how simply something that is something is not necessarily wrong simply because it had negative origins. I was saying if we go by that thought of mind, we can't celebrate. We we can't ever have Thursday. We can't call it Thursday because that comes from the name of a pagan god. You can't drive a Saturn. You can't watch a superhero movie. You can't drink Starbucks. You can't celebrate Easter. You can't celebrate Christmas. Man. My goodness, what's that? <laughs> Might as well not live. My goodness. <laughs> Guys, we know where many of these things began, but that's not what it means to us today. When I celebrate Christmas, I'm not celebrating its origins and what was celebrated during that time of year way back when. I'm celebrating the birth of the Savior. And people will say, well, brother, I don't believe in Christmas because we shouldn't, just we shouldn't just celebrate the birth of our Savior once a year. Well, you celebrate the birth of your child once a year. You're thankful for him every day, but does that mean you're not thankful for him the other 364 days of the year? It's all right to have a time that we stop and we remember and we reflect. Regardless of where it all started, our culture does observe Christmas, whether they're Christian or not. And so it's a great opportunity for us to stop and to reflect and remember and even be a witness of the saving grace of Jesus. It's been ingrained in our society. It's not going away, so we might as well enjoy it and take advantage of it. But as I said last week, if the Christmas tree in your house has become an idol <laughs> and you're worshiping nature when it's in there, then throw your Christmas tree out on the curb. If, <laughs> if your Christmas is not about the birth of Jesus to you, instead it's about the winter solstice and about sun gods, don't celebrate it. It's not for you. But if you're like me, Christmas time is a time for remembering Jesus and join family. It's a time of love and joy and even a time of gift giving. How many of you know it's okay to give gifts? Christmas is not about the gifts that we give, but it's okay to exchange gifts. And talked about how we're not required to stay away from this holiday simply because at one time it had pagan connotations. And I kind of wrapped up talking about the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through 33. He's answering a question that was asked of him in a previous letter. And he was asked, well, can we eat meat that was, that was sacrificed to pagan gods and then was later sold? And Paul said, yeah, it's all right. He said, for us as Christians, it doesn't matter where the meat came from. He said, we live in freedom, not under grace. Those pagan gods don't exist anyway. And so what he goes on to say is it's okay to do as long as you can do it with a clear conscience. And here's the thing. If you in clear conscience cannot, <laughs> if you in clear conscience cannot celebrate Christmas without separating, and you can't separate the pagan origins from it, then again, you shouldn't celebrate it. It's not a matter of right and wrong. Even Romans 14 verses 5 and 6 tell us that we have the liberty to decide what days we observe and what days we don't. 
And I wanted to mention one last thing before I uh, wrap up the re- review from last week. I've been thinking this week, and, and, and guys, Christmas is not of pagan origin. The birth celebration, the birth in Jesus, of Jesus, there's nothing pagan about it. Now, yes, this time of year, it's the celebration this time of year that has pagan uh, origins. But, and, and by the way, like we talked about last week, some of the things that we, some of the items that we use in celebration, like Christmas trees, mistletoe, yule logs, some of those things do come from pagan tradition, but those aren't, we're not celebrating those pagan traditions. The birth of Jesus, celebrating the birth of Jesus is not pagan in any way. Celebrating the birth of Jesus is not a pagan time of year. It's okay. So if you celebrate Jesus, if you celebrate Christmas, do it as a worship and an honor to the Lord. So last week, several of you thanked me, and you actually said that different people had asked you questions uh, about some of these things, and you didn't know how to respond. You didn't know much about it. And I encourage you to keep studying, keep learning, keep reading, and learning more about it. But, uh, but I wanted to continue on today in the same vein, and I, I love doing a short three-week series on Christmas and uh, wrapping up next week. Y'all don't miss next week, our family service. It's going to be a lot of fun having the kids in here. We're going to read them the Christmas story, uh, plan for us to take communion together as a family. Most Christian families don't ever do that. And so I think it'll be great. Even with your elementary and toddler kids, we'll get together in our little family groups for just a couple of minutes and we'll take communion together. So I encourage you guys to be here next week. And then I might as well mention two weeks from today, I'm going to have to go ahead and get jump started on the new year because we got some things to talk about. I'm going to start on two weeks from today, December 29th. We're going to start talking about the vision for 2020. And you guys are not going to want to miss it. Our pastors, elders, everybody's excited about where we're going, and I can't wait to share some news with you guys on some things that are coming up. So that's two weeks from today. So in continuing, last week we talked about Christmas origins, and today I want to talk about what is Christmas about anyway. We think we know. We talk about a baby in a manger but what is Christmas all about anyway? To some of you, this will seem very, um, very basic. It seems like a given, but I think it's a good thing for us to remember as we go into the Christmas, uh, as we go into Christmas time in, gosh, what, a week and a half? Week and a half is Christmas Day. So, uh, so what is Christmas all about? Guys, one person, actually, we're going to read, our, our passage for this week is going to be from Luke chapter 2. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. you also find in your service guide, there's a note sheet. You can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app on, uh, on your mobile devices. What is Christmas all about? I want to hear about it from the words of somebody different. This comes from the best Christmas special in the history of the world. Y'all ready for this? Let's go. How many of you love Charlie Brown? Charlie Brown is the best, man. I want to grow up to be Charlie Brown. Man. Guys, I actually had this done before two days ago. I thought of Charlie Brown in this. I was like, wait a minute, is that the same passage that he's reading from? And I went and I was like, it is. It's Luke chapter 2. So I'm going to read this. If you, are, uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And I'm going to read. He was, they were, he was quoting from uh, Linus, was quoting from the King James Version. Uh, I'm going to read you from the New King James. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Guys, I'm going to call today, subtitle it, Tidings of Comfort and Joy. 
This is what Christmas is about. Now, in this, we know that we see many different times in Scripture where God sends an angel to bring a message, right? Something I had never thought of before. Do you realize this is, I believe, the only place in Scripture where multiple angels appear to a person to bring a message from God, and the only time that an angel appears to multiple people to bring a message from God? Very interesting, and we'll talk about that just a little bit, but... In this, he's talking to shepherds. How many of you agree, shepherds were not, it's not like they were royalty or something. These are normal, everyday working folks. Ordinary folks, they weren't rich, they weren't famous, they weren't religious leaders of any kind, and God brings these message, this message of good tidings to these ordinary people sitting on a hillside at night watching over their sheep. So Christmas is the story of God bringing a message. The message, of course, being Jesus, being the good news. He brings this message to all of humanity, to you and to me. As I said, we're going to call this tidings of comfort and joy. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, here in just a second, I'm going to give you four facts um, about God's tidings to the world. But the first question is, the question my wife asked me, what exactly are tidings anyway? What, if you look up the word tiding, and actually I looked up in the dictionary and it simply said news or information. How many of you love to get news and information from God? That's always good. It's always a good thing. This, it said, was news to all people. And so actually, if I looked up synonyms to the word tidings, it means report, story, communications, words, notifications. Lastly, it means a message. So God's message of comfort and joy brought to all people. So four facts about good tiding, God's tidings to the world. And you can, uh, like I say, you can follow along in your note sheet and fill in the blanks there. Number one, God's tidings were for all people from every walk of life. God's tidings were for all people from every walk of life. And it's in verse, um, in verse 8. It talks about the shepherds, they're sleeping in the fields with their sheep. As I said a minute ago, this is what they did. This is how they made their livelihood. This is how they made a living. This is, this is who they were. They were normal, everyday people living a normal, everyday life, making a normal, everyday living. And so... God's tidings were from all people of every walk of life. So it was for all of mankind. God's message, we see a message at the beginning. All the way back at the Garden of Eden, God brings a message. You guys remember when, when uh, Adam and Eve sinned against God? There in the garden, how many of you would agree that in the garden, there wasn't black and white? There wasn't rich and poor? I don't believe that there was, I don't believe there was young or old. I believe they were ageless. There wasn't American or Israeli. They were all the same. And so when God brings this message to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve have sinned, right? And he brings this, this first message. And what is that message? That message is that the serpent would crawl on the ground, that the man would till the earth for food, that the woman would have great pain in childbirth. These, this message that he brings is for all people. Now, all we know of that there were at the time was Adam and Eve. Uh, but it was for all their descendants, all their sons and daughters, from there on to us, right? And so in, verse, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is wrapping up his message to mankind. And what he says in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity. Enmity means hostility, hatred. 
It means animosity. So he said, I will put hostility, hatred, animosity between you. He's talking to the serpent. Between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. Who's her offspring? It's the baby in the manger that we celebrate on Christmas. It's Jesus. He says, so he's telling the serpent, I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to put this hostility between you and the offspring of the woman. And says, he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So, Basically, he's saying, he's telling the serpent, you're, you're going to think you've got him, this offspring of the woman. You're going to think you've got him. But it's just going to be a bruise on the heel because he's going to give you a head injury. Right? Got it? So this was the first message to mankind, really, that God brings here. And really, in this, this message is simply a prelude to the next message that would come. And the next message that came in regards to all of mankind like this came to some shepherds sitting on a hillside. Thousands of years later. So when God first mentions these tidings, the first tidings, and then he gives this prelude and insinuates that something else is, is going to happen eventually, and the second message comes, it was to everybody, for every descendant of Adam and Eve from beginning to end. And when this message was brought to the shepherds, it, it wasn't just for them. This message wasn't just for the Jews. The message came through the Jews, didn't it? But it wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't exclusively for them. So the good news is not just for rich people. It's not just for poor people. It's not just for religious or non-religious. It's for all people from all backgrounds, for every, from every walk of life. The angel said that it was news. It was a message for all people. So that's number one. God's tidings were for all people from every walk of life. Number two, God's tidings were great news. How many of you know God's tidings were great news? The first tidings didn't seem like great news. These, these were great words to hear from the Lord. So we know that it's a great message that God brings, but we see two responses from the shepherds. What's the first response we see from them? As Lina said, they were sorely afraid. The first response we see from them is fear. Now, why do you think they feared? Obviously, they recognized these were angels from God. I mean, off the top of your head, you probably think that would be awesome to see an angel. And you may wonder, well, why would the shepherds be sorely afraid? Well, firstly, they probably didn't know anybody who had ever seen an angel. And so we don't know what exactly what an angel looks like, but I can imagine, especially when there was a whole multitude of them, that they were pretty doggone intimidating. These are some big guys, girls, guys, people, uh, whatever. <laughs> Unisex individuals. <laughs> guys, they feared because God is holy. They feared because God is holy, and he is great, and he is awesome, and they knew very well that God judges sin. They knew it. And when somebody has an encounter with God like this, especially in the days before Jesus, you were quickly reminded of how sinful and unworthy you were to be in his presence. Not because he had to say it. You just could not stand in his presence. I believe that they feared judgment because they knew that mankind was unclean. Suddenly, here's angels standing before them. All they knew was they had been spending their whole lives trying to remain in right standing before God. They knew 
that if anybody ever looked upon the face of God, they would die. You all know Hebrews 12, 29? Mac Powell would always sing, for our God, he is a consuming fire. I imagine they're standing on that hillside thinking, we are about to fry. We're done. This is all over with. They knew the Old Testament. They knew of God's wrath. Revelation 6, 17, and John said, for the, great day of his, for the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? That's what I imagine was probably going through the shepherd's mind in that moment. What's about to happen? We about to fry. It's all over with. But it's the first thing the angel says. It says, don't fear. It's okay. This is a good message. The second response we see from the shepherds is joy. So they go from fear to joy. Now, the good news is good news, but it brings light to the bad news. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We've sinned against a holy God and we're not worthy to stand in his presence. That's what I'm talking about. The good news comes, but all of a sudden, it's kind of like when Jesus would speak and he would say, well, maybe you hadn't committed adultery, but if you thought it in your mind, you're guilty of it. Suddenly we realize, okay, we are sinful human beings, and we're not worthy to stand in your presence. And so the gospel is great news, but it does bring light to the bad news. However, the good news continues that Jesus would pay the price for sin, and now we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And anybody say, hallelujah, hallelujah. Even so, how many of you know that we should still come to God's presence with fear and deep awe and honor and trembling as we come before him? Sometimes we forget, big God, little me. We like to make ourselves too big next to God. Would anybody agree with that? So this was such good news that we know the shepherds, it says that they immediately left and went looking for Jesus. I hope they got somebody to watch those sheep. Somebody was going to be upset. It actually says, verse 16 actually says, um, it says they went with haste. So they took off quickly going to look for this savior. So we go from these guys who are scared silly, but they suddenly recognize that this isn't a message of judgment and wrath. This is good news of the savior finally coming. And we know that they were overjoyed. So number one, the good tidings that came that we celebrate at Christmas time were for all people from every walk of life. Number two, the good tidings were great news. Number three, these good tidings bring every human being to a point of decision. The good tidings of Christmas bring every human being to a point of decision. So we see that the shepherds acted with haste. They take off, they go to find the Savior. And they do, don't they? They meet Jesus. Every time a person hears the message of the gospel, every time they hear the good news... There's a faith crisis. There's a decision that has to be made. We have to decide in those moments what we're going to do with, what we're going to do with Jesus. Or we perish for all eternity. So what is the message that brings us to this point of decision? Guys, it's what I talked about just uh, a few months ago when I talked about how to lead somebody to Christ. This is the message. Anybody remember the points to that? It's what 
our elder Robert and April teach in the evangelism class. Heaven is a free gift, right? It can't be earned. We don't deserve it. It's a free gift from God. Many people think if they're good enough, they can get there. You can't be good enough. It's good news. It's a free gift. Again, can anybody say hallelujah? <laughs> Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number two, man is a sinner. We can't save ourselves. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just how many points? Just one point is guilty of all of it. This is that bad news that becomes illuminated. <laughs> the good news comes, and the good news is this big, bright spotlight. And all of a sudden, all those little dark corners of our hearts that we've hidden away, that have cobwebs and everything else, all of a sudden, they're illuminated and bright. And that's what makes us curl down and say, oh, God, I'm not worthy. But I receive you. And he takes us by the hand and lifts us up. It doesn't matter how good a person you think you are. Just one sin, just one failing ruins it all. Next, God loves us, but sin cannot and will not ever be excused. Again, it's this darkness being illuminated by the light. God's merciful and loves us, but because God is love, God must also be a just God. He is just. Therefore, he has to judge sin. Exodus 34, 7, God will by no means clear the guilty. Sin will be judged. But guys, this is where the good news comes in. Jesus died and rose to pay our penalty from sin. Can I get a hallelujah again? Jesus took our judgment. Jesus was on earth, fully God, fully man. Died on a cross, rose from the grave, paid the penalty for our sins, and purchased for us the place in heaven. We were, which he offers to us as a free gift. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I love the Passion Translation. It says, for God made the only one, who's he talking about? Jesus. God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for who? For us. So that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. How many of you have been at a point in your life where you didn't know righteousness? We've all been there. But because of him, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Right before Jesus died, what was his last words? It is finished. He was saying, it's done. The debt is paid. The demands of judgment that were placed on you, those demands have been met. You're clean. You're innocent. You're free. That are, is the tidings of comfort and joy. And I hope that it brings comfort and joy to you. Yeah. Lastly, faith in Jesus is the only way to God. Faith in Jesus is the only way. It's not mere knowledge. It's not temporal faith. It's trusting in Jesus for eternal life. Guys, a lot of people today hate it when they're told that Jesus is the only way. But I'm glad God didn't complicate it. Seems like great love for me. He didn't say this way, you can do this, this, and this, and go this way, or this, 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 and go this way, and this way. One way. One way. It's Jesus. Not a popular message today. 
But it is what it is. There's only one possible way, and Jesus paid the price so that it could happen. Romans tells us we got to confess Jesus with our mouth and believe with our heart, and it's all about faith. It's not just about believing in God. How many of you know the devil himself, he believes in God even more than you do? <laughs> he believes. It's not about believing. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Saving faith is trusting Jesus and Jesus alone with our life. Instead of trusting in yourself, you trust in him. And you back it up by your actions, how you live from that day forward. And here's the thing. As I said, the good tidings, they bring us all to this point of decision. So we are responsible for responding to God's tidings, right? We're responsible for it. Every, the Bible tells us that everything around us screams God's existence. We have to live this life with our eyes shut to believe that there's not a God. In this, we should also, we, our conscience, even when we're not believers, our conscience tells us that we're sinners. We know that down deep inside. We know that we need to seek repentance. We should hear the good news, respond to the message, and his message will always bring us to that point of decision. So God's tidings were for all people from every walk of life. God's tidings were great news. God's tidings bring every human being to a point of decision. And the last point I want to mention today is God's tidings miraculously transform lives forever. God's tidings miraculously transform lives forever. So we've already talked about the shepherds. When the shepherds received the message, their lives were changed. And we know this prompted them to do at least two things. There's two things we see in Scripture. One, they told others about Jesus. They shared the message. They received the message. They met Jesus. They shared the message. The second thing we see is they praised and glorified God. Their lives were transformed. They met the Savior. They had the message. Sorry, I keep about losing my mic. God loves us so much. How many of you know he loves us too much to leave us in the condition we were in when we found him? People think God, there's people that don't want to come to Christ because they, they get this picture in the world that God is a jailer telling you all the things you can't do. That, that is what a perverted view of God. That's not it at all. He just has our best interest in mind. He wants us to prosper in every aspect of life. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to be full of joy and happiness. So he tells us the way to go. And he loves us too much to leave us in the shape we were in when we found him. When we receive Jesus, our lives should change. It's another unpopular message. Don't judge me. If you've received Jesus, your life should change. You didn't just get a makeover. He transformed you from the inside out. You became a new creation. He didn't just put some makeup on your spirit. You were reborn. You have a brand new spirit. Your dead spirit comes alive by the power of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Guys, the sin nature was death. We were, we've all been there and done that. Lived by that sin nature. We were spiritually dead. Do you realize that as the new creation, 
that sin nature is not ours anymore. We're free of the sin nature. What is it that we're fighting against? Our flesh and the devil of hell. That's what we're fighting against. It's not about against the sin nature anymore. You've got a new spirit. Your life should be transformed. The sin we once held on to, now we should desire to put away. I know a lot of people that have prayed a prayer, but there's never been any other change in their life. I would say, did you really surrender your life to Jesus? Doesn't mean you're perfect. We're going to walk this out. We're going to walk this out until we take our last breath. But we should be making progress. We should be moving forward. That transformation in our life every year that we live should be more and more obvious than it ever was before. We should be making progress and moving forward if our life has truly been transformed. A sin we held on to, we should desire to put away. Colossians 3.10 says we have to put off the old man and his deeds. Put off the old man and his deeds. You recognize that he's not praying and saying, God, please put off my old man and his deeds. It's something that we have to demand. It's something that we have to demand of ourselves. We have to require of ourselves. It's something we have to do. We have to put the old man behind and choose that we're going to live this new transformed life from this day forward. It says, along with the old passing away, the new has come. Old dead things were replaced with new things, full of life and the touch and the glory of God. As a new creation, we should delight in doing the things of God and hate doing the things of the world, hate doing the things of the flesh. Our purposes, our feelings, our desires, and our understanding are fresh and new and different. Guys, even if you've prayed a prayer of surrender your life to Jesus, if you have no desire to live for him, I would strongly recommend you today get your life right with the Lord. I would strongly, I, I, I would say I'm fearful for you. If you prayed a prayer, but there was no transformation in your life, you had no desire to change. I would question, have you become the new creation? We should see the world differently. The new creation loves people all the way to the, self of, to the place of self-sacrifice. It's a new kind of love toward family and friends, a new compassion we've never felt for our enemies, a new love for all of mankind. These are some of the things that we should see happen in our life. Before this transformation, the Bible was probably just a book. But how many of you would say that after you got saved, you recognized the Bible wasn't just a boring book? Before you were saved, you probably looked at it and thought, man, that's long. (laughs) That's a thick book. But once your life was transformed and changed, you recognized that it was full of life. It was your owner's manual for your life. That your peace and your joy, everything that you had searched for all your life was found within the covers of that book. The Bible comes to life. As a new creation, it makes all things new. From it comes the direction of our lives. Everything the new creation does, it does as a worship to God. It lives life as a worship to God. I, I hate to break this to you. But worship is not two fast songs and two slow songs on a Sunday morning. We've talked about doing a worship series. Worship is not something that you do on Sunday morning. Worship is who you are. Your life is to be a living sacrifice before God. So the things you put your hand to at work, 
is your worship to God. Working hard, playing hard, being a person of your word, being a person of integrity and character, that is your good service. That is your worship to God. Everything that you put your hand to. That's why as believers, people should know that they can trust our word. They should know that whatever we do, we're going to do with excellence. They should know that we're going to go the extra mile. We're not going to do just the bare minimum of what needs to be done. But we're going to go the extra mile. We're going to do all things with excellence. Because that's who we are. We're the new creation. And our life has been transformed. And our lives we live not to please man, but to please God. As a worship to him. Amen? We should see the world differently. We can't look back. The new creation doesn't sit still. The new creation is always pushing forward in Christ. This is the tidings of comfort and joy. I read some of you are reading through. Man, we're almost finished with the, with the chronological life application Bible this year. And um, I read a statement that I actually put on our Facebook group um, maybe three days ago. It said, how we act in situations will reflect what we believe. How we act in situations. Not talking about in church. How you act with your family. How you act at work. How you act when you're feeling road rage. How, you're at, how you act, how you react, reflects what you believe. But how many of you know this transformed life, you've got to want it. God's not going to do it for you. You have to want it. We have to want our life to be transformed. God doesn't force anything on us. But if we've truly surrendered to him, it's going to be obvious. And our life is going to begin to change and shift slowly but surely. And so that's how I want to end today. These are the tidings of comfort and joy. This is what we celebrate on Christmas. In reality, I kind of feel like we ought to celebrate Easter a couple of days after Christmas as well. <laughs> because the two are basically the same thing. It's, it's, it's the whole story. This as believers is what we reflect on and what we remember. This is what we are witness to as followers of Christ. And so I would ask you, you may have heard the message. Have you received the message? Have you received it? Have you met the Savior? Are you different now than you were before? Think about the shepherds. They heard the message. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time. Maybe there's somebody watching online hearing it for the first time. You've heard the message. Are you ready to meet the Savior? Let's all stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. And they're going to lead us in worship for just a moment. But as you stand up, I want everybody to bow their, head and bow their heads and close their eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What about you? You've heard the message. Have you received the message? Guys, these tidings of comfort and joy are the best news that we will ever get as human beings. How awesome that 2,000 years ago, some ordinary shepherds on a hillside heard it first and today you've heard it you've heard that it's for all people from every walk of life you've heard that the message is good news you've heard that it brings you to the point of decision and you've heard that it miraculously transforms your life forever
Guys, I don't know if you've ever received Jesus or not. I don't know if you've ever surrendered your life to him. But if you're here today and you would say, you know what? My life hasn't been transformed, but it needs to be. I have got to make a change. And I recognize that Jesus is the only way. If that's you, with every head bowed, and you would say, I've got to make a change today. Lift up your hand so I can see it. Who would say, I need to make a change today? Amen. Who else would say, I have got to make a change? I believe there's more. I believe you're feeling that conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. He's drawing you. He's saying, come on. It's your time. All right, we're going to pray together. Whether you're here watching online, we're going to pray a simple prayer. And the Bible says that if you mean it with all your heart, declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, that you will be saved. That you become that new creation. And that's the beginning of the new life. Then the true transformation begins. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I am so lost doing this life in my own strength, in my own way. I thank you for sending Jesus, who was born as a baby in a manger, but grew up and lived a sinless life and laid down that life for me. Today, Jesus, I declare you are my Lord. You are master of my life. I make you master of my life. I put you in charge. I want you to steer this ship. I want you to take the reins. I can't do it on my own any longer. Be Lord of my life. I believe that you are who you say you are. And I'll follow you to the end. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything you've called me to be. In Jesus' name, I thank you for it. Amen. If that's you, if you really rededicated your life to the Lord today, I want you to come up in just a few minutes and I want you to tell one of the prayer partners. And I want you to say, pray for me. I have rededicated my life to the Lord. I need him to take the reins of my life like never before. And I want you to pray for me and I want you to seal this thing. We're going to sing. We're going to worship together for just a minute before we, before we close out. But I want you guys to press in as we worship. And I, I want to say this. Guys, we're talking about Christmas. We talked about origins last week. We talked about the true meaning today. How many of you would say in your life, you need to be, to be more of a witness of the message. Guys, I do. My hand is up first. I need to be more of a witness of the message, of the good news. And if that's you, as we worship, I want you to ask the Lord. Say, Lord, this is the desire of my heart. I want to be that shining beacon of hope to every person I come in contact with. So, Lord, help me to let that light shine brighter than it has ever before, especially in this season when people, even non-Christians, like I said last week, they're singing songs about Jesus without even thinking about it. 
you have the opportunity more than ever before this time of year to be a witness to what God has done in your life. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.